First Timothy chapter one. Now I made uh, a point of uh, when I was gone last week, and Chris Taylor preached. He said, "Hey, can I preach <clears throat> on this passage in Luke that we used for our confession?" <clears throat> and I said, "Well, Chris, I was actually I had that passage already picked out for our liturgy for First Timothy, and so I said it would be great." <laughs> because I'm going to refer to that passage, and it's what triggers in my mind when I read this text of 1 Timothy. When Paul says, I thank God, it's the first thing that pops into my mind was the prayer of that Pharisee. I thank God. And and it's interesting the difference of what follows that statement. I thank God. And and the Pharisee says, I thank God that I'm self-righteous, that I do all these things right. Uh, In a a sense, he says, I thank God that I'm so awesome. And, um, and Paul says, I thank God who has given me mercy. But think about this in the context. Every place that the apostle plants a church, every place, every letter that's written to a church carries with it warnings of false teaching. Everyone, you can just see Paul, he must be so excited as he sees a church forming and new believers come and they're so excited about the gospel. And um, they, they see the beautiful unity that's brought about as Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, members of Caesar's household, uh, all come together in this beautiful thing, this church. But yet he feels and he knows that he has to go do another one somewhere else. This news is way too good for him to keep it in one place. And so he knows he has to go. And as he goes, he warns. And in Acts, he has this warning to the Ephesian church, which is where Timothy is when he receives this letter about false teachers. He says, even from amongst your own ranks, they're going to come. And so it's interesting, in all of his letters, at some point, uh, the apostle will, it's it's as if he puts out his CV. It's as if he says, uh, here here is why I am qualified to teach you. Here is why you should listen to me. Here is why you should not listen to the false teachers, but you should listen to me. Here is why I am qualified. And so it's interesting that that this is what flows out of it. The false teachers promote themselves. I know this, I've done this, um, I've accomplished this. The Apostle Paul promotes Christ and the work of Christ. So most of you know my my father passed away last Sunday. um, And he was a preacher for as long as I remember. Um, and I was going through a whole bunch of his stuff. And I think on, either on the men's chat or small group chat, one of those, I posted this flyer. And it was my dad preaching in 1966. And so they listed his qualifications. He was a graduate of the Salvation Army Bible College. And then they listed, he's six foot three. And I laughed so hard. I'm like, who, who would put that in there now? Can you imagine, like, you get, you get a bulletin, you know, uh, who's your pastor? Well, well, how tall is he? You know, I, I, just, I can't get over it. It's just too funny to me. But um, as I was going through things for my father and preparing for his memorial service uh, Saturday, um, all these stories come flooding in, you know, these things I remember as a kid and trying to figure out which ones do I put in the memorial service, uh, which ones are Jonathan going to talk about, which ones will Paul talk about. Um, but... The overarching favorite stories are stories of humility. Not he built this church, he started this seminary, he, 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 not that. 
Um, and uh, I think among the brothers, our favorite is when he took his doctorate and threw it away. Um, and he told mom, he said, I, I, I realized I got the doctorate so people would call me Dr. Kuiper. That's why I got it. And it means nothing. I, I don't want to be called that. I don't want to be known for that. Uh, it puffs me up. And I'm aware of the dangers. And so he took his doctorate and threw it away. Now, I think mom went back in the trash and pulled it out. But <laughs> she has a way. Uh, but for me, you know, as a son who had a father bigger than life, um, what a wonderful legacy. What a wonderful thing to think about. You know, that he, he, he didn't hold on to any kind of worldly accolades to make himself something. And when Paul says, you should listen to me, Timothy, you should remind the people that you stand under the apostolic authority that was given to me, that was appointed to me, he actually dives in to what he was. And so um, rather than listing all the things, he was a Pharisee, he was trained probably more than any of the teachers that uh, would come up against him. Rather than do that, he goes into his personal account with Christ. And here's why it's important. Have you ever thought about this? What if the people that were closest to you, the people who meant the world to you, they were the most dear people on the planet to you, what if they started believing lies? What if they started believing lies that were not just detrimental uh, to their faith or the way they acted, but you knew that it was detrimental to their soul? What would you do? And that's exactly what's happening. The apostle here is saying, what you believe concerning Christ is so vitally important that I don't care what you think of me, don't lose Christ. Don't lose what he's done. And so that's really what's happening. Um, now, the thing is, church people, humans, we're constantly fed a barrage of lies. We have to be aware that there's some that we really want to believe. There are lies about the gospel, lies about Christianity, lies about gender, affection, attraction. Sometimes we think, well, if, if we could just believe here, if we could just rest here, then life would be so much easier. We need to be aware of that, that, that there are truths that count, go against the gospel, counter, counter to the gospel that we might be susceptible to believing. And for Paul, the interesting thing is, uh, he, in the previous passage, he said, the law is great if you use it lawfully. But when we recount, when I read this text, and Paul says, here's, here's what I did. Here's who I was. I want you to remember that he was this type of person when he knew the law. Right? It, it wasn't, hey, I was raised in some island somewhere and, you know, we used to you know, eat people. No. He was like, I, I was raised as a Jew. I was raised as a Pharisee. I studied the law of God. So remember that. When he says, here's who I was, here's what I did, this was what played out of his misunderstanding of the law of God. 
So again, you think about this apostle writing to a church that was going to be tempted by all forms of false teaching, saying it's so important that you get the gospel right. It's so important that you understand the work of Christ, who he is and what he's done and how it works. It's so important. Trust me, I knew the Bible better than any of you. And yet a failure to grasp Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners led me to be a blasphemer, a violent man, and a persecutor. So um, that's the heart of the writer. So we'll pick up at verse 12 of chapter 1. It's the Word of God. Please stand for the reading of Scripture. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of the ages, mortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. We've probably met people who uh, don't want to worship God or don't want to worship our God, or it's common to say, I can't believe in a God who, I can't even believe in a God that allows this to happen to a child. Um, and uh, in their judgment, they're saying, I, I am more righteous than that God that you serve. I am more upright. I am more pure. I would do a better job than that God whom you serve. But it's hard to do better than what Paul says here. It's pretty much impossible to do better. Christ Jesus, he says, came to save sinners. That's what he did. That's what our God did. That's what our God's Son did. That was his purpose for coming. Not just to show us a way to live, not to teach us to be sweet, but to save sinners. That's what he did. And if that is at the center, and it's at the center of this text... If that's at the center of your heart, then what I call these bookends of praise. And, and, and um, that, that's what you have here. So he starts with praise in, chapter, in verse 12. I thank him. And then he ends with doxology. To the king of the ages. Immortal, invisible. Bookends of praise. So in the midst of comparing himself to false teachers, he gives us an insight into his testimony, and his testimony always causes him to praise God, always causes him to make much of our God. So the sermon in a sentence this morning, is it receiving Jesus on his terms? Uh, as it says here, full acceptance of him and what his work is. Receiving Jesus on his terms frames the life of a believer in praise. Your life is to be framed in praise, to start and end the day 
in praise. To start and end your story in praise and admiration for God. The history of the world starts and ends with praise and worship. And so here's what Paul says in these verses. He says, here is what I was given. Here's who I was. And then how did this change happen? Now, again, it's interesting because Timothy knew Paul. Timothy was discipled by Paul. So Paul doesn't write this in his letter to Timothy. Hey, by the way, Timothy, just in case you didn't know this, um, this is how I got saved. No, he puts it in there because he says, this is, this is how I know, this is how you know, and this is how the church knows that I should be trusted as an apostle. This is my CV. This is my resume. This is what I have to show. Uh, who I was, uh, who I was, what he was given, and how did he change? So the first verse, verse 12, says, here's what I was given. So he starts with this, I thank him, and then everything that flows out of this is, God receives the glory, God gave this to me, it is from him, he deserves the praise for this. He says three things, first, God gave me strength. Paul says that there's this inner strength that I have. I have an ability to withstand beatings and flogging, persecution, trial. I have all of this because God gave me this inner strength. Now, when you think about that man and you say, wow, what a wonderful man, what an amazing man. He says, no, 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 no. Anything amazing is this gift of God. He granted me strength. He provided strength in the inner man, in the soul. Uh, you know, I don't mean to make this all about my dad, but I would say my dad had singular purpose. And as I think about his life, it's singular purpose. As I think about even things that I thought maybe as a son he let me down, things I wish he would have done differently or better. In the back of my mind, there was always this sense that everything that we did as a family had to do with promoting the glory of God. And so if he chose to do something other than going to my basketball game in 10th grade, it wasn't because he loved me. It wasn't because he didn't love me. It was because he loved Jesus more. And um, I think about that with Paul. He had this inner strength of kind of singular purpose. God has rescued me for his purpose. And you realize that as a believer, that gives you this sense of inner strength. What, what, what I am is what God has rescued and what he is going to do with me. And he will strengthen me for whatever path lays ahead. Paul says, I thank God, Timothy, that he is the one that gave me strength. And as a result, the second thing flows out. He gave me strength. And because of that, I was faithful. I was considered faithful. He entrusted me. Faith was this gift that he gave me. Not I was faithful. And because of that, God affirmed me. No, because God gave me strength, he made me into a faithful servant. You have to believe that, that faith is a gift. It's not something we try to conjure up. We, we work out our faith. We supplant our faith with, we, we, we had, by, by studying and reading and worship. But to believe is a gift, and we pray for it. And so the third thing, he gave him an appointment. Timothy, God gave me strength. He gave me a faithfulness. And he appointed me to his service. God himself did this to me and he 
deserves the praise. Why was it given to him? Well, here's why. Because Paul wasn't going to get it on his own. Paul was not going to get it by just studying the Torah. He wasn't going to get it in the Jewish system. God had to give it to him. Now, I know sometimes people, you know, they don't like it that I don't like promote the Gideons. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving out Bibles. But we give out Bibles when we disciple people. We give out Bibles and we help people understand it, read it, and use it properly. Paul had the Old Testament. And that's what happened. When, when the gospel came, when it flooded into him, when his heart was reborn, all of a sudden, all the Old Testament that he had studied, it all made sense. It must have been so many times when he was like, how could I not see this? <laughs> this Jesus who I was persecuting fits everything that the Old Testament said about him. How could I not see this? You know how I couldn't see it? Because he was spiritually dead and spiritually blind. And so God had to do this to him. He had to give it to them. Parents, you cannot teach your children to be a Christian. You can't. You should demonstrate it the same way that Paul demonstrates it. Here's who he is. Here's what he's done. Here's why I'm not going to beat you. <laughs> Here's why I haven't, you know, whatever terrible things. It's not because I'm a great person. Because I have a great Savior. And so he had, it had to be given to him. And so, because now he says, here's who I was. Timothy knew this, but it, for some reason he thought, are you going to have to remind you, Timothy? Remind the people in church. Here, here's who I was, verse 13. He says three things about who he was. I was a blasphemer. Timothy, before the work of Christ, before my heart was, was renewed, I was a blasphemer. I spoke evil of Jesus. We read in Acts 2 that he also said he tried by force to make people blaspheme. By force, grabbing women, children, men, and saying, blaspheme the name of Jesus, curse the name of Jesus, or I will inflict bodily harm on you. Timothy, that's who I was. There was no way I was going to save myself. There was no way that I could have done this on my own or learn enough. I had to be rescued. I was a blasphemer. And it's interesting that that's how it starts. That's the worst sin he can think of. I blaspheme the name of Jesus, my wonderful Savior who encountered me on the road, ready to kill people. He encountered me and says, you're not going to do it anymore because I love you, Saul. I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I tried to destroy the church. I tried to destroy Christians. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, uh, this is another verse that my dad would always talk about whenever I'd see him as, as he was slipping into dementia. Uh, those people tend to perseverate on certain things. And he would always grab me by the hand and he would say, isn't it amazing, Mark? <laughs> In Acts chapter 9, what Jesus says, it is, uh, it is Jesus who you are persecuting, Saul. That our Savior is so close to his people, Mark. Isn't it amazing that he takes personally all the affronts done to his people? Not why are you persecuting my church? Not why are you persecuting Christians? Why are you persecuting the innocent? Paul, why are you persecuting me? Amazing. That's who I was, Paul says. I was that guy. No wonder churches didn't trust me. 
No wonder they thought there's got to be some ploy. How can this evil person now say he is an apostle? I wouldn't trust him. I was a violent man. We know that that's what happens. Uh, the word violent, it, it's a combination of various words in Greek. It's, it's a certain type of violence. It's a violence that is marked by hubris. It's arrogance, pride, and insolence. It's a violence that results when a person sees themselves as judge, jury, executioner, all in one. This is who I was. And we know that that's the way that the world operates, isn't it? Uh, in this same manner that Saul was. They blaspheme the name of our Savior. Right? They want, they want the church to name a different Savior. Add God to all these other Saviors. Um, they blaspheme Him. Then they persecute. And in the end, it's violence. And we see that in society. We see that in every culture. That uh, when reason fails... Violence ensues. When Christians don't give in and there's no way to reason them out, violence follows. And Paul says, that was me. That's his resume. Hey, false teachers, this is who I was. Hey, church, don't forget who I was. I won't forget who I was. Not just a violent person, but one specifically opposed to Christians. Not one that was ignorant of the Bible or the promises of a Messiah, but certain that these people this way was against God. That is who I was. But then in verse 13, you have this change. And twice in this text, he says, but I received mercy. That's his story. This is who I was. But I received mercy. I received mercy. How did this change happen? He says, I received mercy. I'd acted in ignorance and unbelief. And I received mercy. I received grace overflowing. Verse 14, overflowed for me. And see how, again, he's tying in the grace of God with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, everything I received flowed out of a merciful God who graciously gives me faith and love and secures my place with Jesus and forgives my sin and washes me clean of all that I'd done against him and against the church. That's what happened to me. I received mercy. I wasn't a seeker. I was doing everything I can to get away from God, everything I could to stop the work of the spread of the gospel. That's who I was, Timothy. And yet I receive mercy. I receive grace. And in verse 15, because Jesus saved me. <clears throat> this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I think there's five of these in Timothy, trustworthy sayings. And again, we're a creedal church. That's why we have a, a confession of faith. Uh, creeds summarizing the teachings of Scripture. that withstood the test of time and theology. And so Paul says, by the way, here's a trustworthy saying. This is what it means to be a Christian. <clears throat> this is what it means to be in the household of God. This trustworthy saying, Jesus saved me. A simple creed. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am the foremost. All right, I want to say four things about this creed, and we'll rush through them pretty quickly. But the first thing about this verse 15, this, this short creed, Christ came in the world to save sinners, is, is the content of the gospel is true. That's what he's saying. The, the content, this is a true statement. This statement is trustworthy. You can believe this statement. It's a true truth. It's not dependent on whether you accept it or not. This is true, period. End of sentence. The content of the gospel is true. Compared to what was going on in the church, myths, speculations, genealogists, meaningless conversations, Timothy, this is true. Christ came to save sinners. Secondly, the offer of the gospel is universal. Uh, It should be offered to all. Jesus came into the world, he says, to save sinners. It must be accepted. It demands full acceptance. Uh, it, it can't be watered down. It can't be changed. This is who saves sinners. Thirdly, the essence of the gospel gives us the full value of the atonement of Jesus. He came to save. Uh, not He came to show a way. He came to make salvation possible for some. Again, you hear that occasionally. Jesus would have come if nobody believed in him. Well, that's just ridiculous because Jesus came to save those that God had given to him. He came, he knew. It wasn't going to be wasted. His blood wasn't wasted. It wasn't some hope and some fairy tale hoping someone would would answer the call when he knocked on their heart. No, he came to save his own. And his work was perfect. And it was complete. Fourthly, the application of the gospel is personal. Now, this is the amazing thing when Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. And, and this, isn't, this isn't part of the creed. This is Paul's response to that creed. Christ came to save sinners. And Timothy and church, I don't know of a greater sinner than myself. Now, you might find that weird at times, and kids, you grow up in this church, and you like to go to someone else's church, and like you do a time of confession, you know? And last week, Bo got up here and confessed all his piracy. <laughs> right? Chiz gets up and says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a recovering Pharisee. That seems weird, kind of uncomfortable. It shouldn't be. Because Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come for the righteous. He didn't come for the healthy. He came to save sinners. And what Paul is saying is, I can't imagine a worse sinner than I was. Listen to me. I can't imagine a worse sinner than myself. Timothy, you've heard my story a hundred times. Every place I go, I tell the story of who I was and what Christ did. He came to save sinners. And I can't think of one that was worse than me. And I believe that that inner strength that we talk about, it's God the Holy Spirit in the heart of Paul saying, I will never, ever leave you. All those sins you committed against me and against the church, I felt them personally. You were persecuting me. I felt that personally, Paul. But when the time came, I called you to me. I stopped you in your tracks. I didn't let you continue this sinful path when the time came and and saw all that you did beforehand served at greater purpose. 
So I put in here conclusion, why? Why? Why on earth would Paul or Saul of Tarsus, whose name's changed to Paul, <clears throat> why would he be saved? Well, as I said at the beginning, his testimony, it starts and ends with praise from start to finish. And so verses, uh, end of verse 16 and 17, uh, the apostle is saying, here's why God saved me. Uh, as the foremost sinner, God's grace shines even brighter. I can't think of anybody deserving more punishment than me, and yet Christ saved me. You know what he's saying? If Christ can save me, Timothy, he can save anyone. Don't give up on anyone. When you're discouraged, look at me, Timothy. Apostles had a hard time believing I was saved because I had been so evil. God's grace shines even brighter. We know that, right? In Scripture, we talk about those who are forgiven little, love little, right? The, 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 the person who sees himself as a little sinner has a little Savior. The person that sees them as a great sinner sees the Savior as great, sees his love as greater. And so Paul says, here's why. In God saving me as the foremost sinner, He's displaying his mercy and grace for all to see. Uh, so that we can worship him. Verse 17. Why, why would God save sinners? So that we can worship him. And you think about that. That's exactly what this doxology is. Uh, he says four things about God. He is the king of ages. Before all time, at the end of time, he is king. And he saved me that I might know him. That he might rule my, my life, my body, my, my vocation. He is immortal. He never dies. He lives forever. He's invisible. We can't always see him or his actions. We don't know what his providence is doing. But I know this, Timothy, he saved me at the time he meant to save me. At the right time, at the precise moment, he saved me. And he is the only God. Brothers and sisters, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. That should be our creed. If it is your creed, if it is what you hold in the center of your heart, I encourage you to think about your day as bookends. I encourage you to think, if you're a follower of Christ, that you wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes out of your mouth is thanks. I thank you, God, that you've rescued me. Oh, God, take this as your prayer. Will you give me an inner strength today? Will you grant me faithfulness? End our day. End our day in doxology. Bow your head to the King, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be the glory. That's the life of a believer. You know, that's how we end. It's how we end our days. We end our days. We end our life going into the throne room of God and singing and worship. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this testimony. May we believe it. May we accept this, fully accept this trustworthy saying. It's simple and yet profoundly deep. Christ came in to save sinners such as us. 
And we thank you, Father, that he was successful in that. And I pray for these elements as we take the bread and as we drink the cup, that we do celebrate, that we were saved by the substitutionary atonement, Christ taking our place and receiving in his body the punishment for our sins, the punishment for Saul of Tarsus who persecuted you, the punishment for his sins taken out upon your son. As we take and eat the bread, Lord, we confirm in our body, our mind, our soul, uh, that we have been received. We have received mercy. Your grace has flooded us, has washed over us as we drink the cup. That the stain of sin has been removed, that guilt and shame does not belong in the life of a believer, that we were to trust you have fully saved your people for all times. May it encourage us, Father. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.